This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, it's Dr. Vic here, and you're listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment. Excited guys have you here. Each week, we come out with an interview, and actually this week, I have a bonus one for you. And in this episode, I actually had the honor of interviewing John Hutchinson, Hutchinson. and great interview, loved his energy. Uh, I've, I've gotten to kind of know the guy from video, but it's one of those things where I'm actually a client of his, and... Um, just the wealth of information that he shares and how he shares it and how he helps his clients inclined me to want to interview him to help you guys um, just have different other pieces of information. I think diversification of information is great to know on different levels. And John really brings it when he when he's definitely presenting, especially in this episode. I really had a blast chatting with him. Uh, but just a little bit about, about John or Hutch, as he's often known as, is the founder of BankingTruths.com. He's not only a proponent of the strategy discussed throughout the site, but also a customer himself. Hutch specializes in taking a visual educational approach with clients, boiling down complex financial strategies to simple sketches and stories that they can easily understand. He is also a perpetual student in the continually evolving subject of wealth creation and preservation. Preservation, sorry. Although he has earned some of the most respected classifications in the financial industry, Hutch learned some of the hardest lessons first as a consumer. You see, Hutch watched his father's life work as a successful entrepreneur come unraveled due to a premature death coupled with a lack of proper planning. After infighting among heirs of a blended family ensued, Hutch eventually was granted a sum of money to be professionally managed in a trust during what turned out to be the lost decade. Having no control, little say as to how the account was managed, Hutch saw his account churn more than once as the broker switched parent companies. He also saw the balance fluctuate violently after the tech bubble of the early 2000s and then again through the housing crash of 2008-2009. After the first free fall, Hutch used this as motivation to learn more about the mechanics of money as a consumer and eventually joined the financial service industry before the second crash hit. Hutch was convinced he could build a more client-friendly model and was determined to learn the business from the ground up. After working for two prominent parent companies, he eventually left the major financial company's advanced business planning team to create his own independent boutique practice, not to be in bed with any particular financial institution. Because of this own entrepreneurial nature, of his own entrepreneur nature and what happened with his dad, Hutch especially enjoys working with business owners and self-employed real estate investors. He fully understands that an entrepreneur's best rate of return will always, almost always come from within their own businesses where they have more access, knowledge, and control than they do with volatile financial markets. Sit back and relax. This is a great episode. Excited to have you here to tune in. But here is John, known as Hutch 
Hutchinson. Hutch, welcome to the show. Thanks, Vic. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on. A lot of great things that you're doing. I've been, I've researched you like crazy for all the listeners. I'm actually a client of Hutch's and what he does and I love the work he's up to. And um, um, I'm excited to have you here and just share with, with the listeners on uh, when it comes to, you know, banking truth and just finances and just life in general. So before we get into the good stuff, do you mind sharing a little bit of your story of how you got into what you're doing and, and your passion behind it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, listen, money's the life's blood that, that, you know, flows through all of our ambitions. We all have to deal with it and there's not a lot of good education about it, uh, probably on purpose. Um, and I really started getting into it uh, during the tech bubble. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of FOMO going on with tech stocks. Um, and I actually had my dad actually passed away uh, at that time. He was a successful business owner. Um, he actually had some life insurance. He had some stocks. Uh, he had a business. He had multiple marriages. So I always say I don't have a family tree. I have a family thicket uh, and, and didn't have, uh, well, I shouldn't say great estate planning, didn't really have estate planning, uh, had a key employee that soon left the business, didn't really have those key person employee agreements. And so the business almost fell apart. And uh, it, was, it was kind of a mess. And in the midst of call it family depression. Uh, and on the back end of that, um, I, it really had me ramp up my, uh, knowledge about money because I inherited a little bit of money. It seemed like a lot of money at the time. Now it's, uh, not even one year salary, but at the time I was young and it was like there, I had this money. And with that, you know, it's like Spider-Man great with great power comes great responsibility. I really felt compelled to do the right thing. And, uh, and I just had no guidance. I had like nowhere to go. And so I started going to, um, investing classes and conferences and, uh, the more I got into it and I've always been kind of a, a strategy slash gamer type personality, um, I, I realized, you know, it's kind of a game, like to really do money right, you have to gamify it. And so I decided I wanted to get into the business end of the business deal. Now, when you're a little bit older in life, uh, by the time I, I didn't get into the business until 2007. So I was a little bit older, had done the, the conferences as a retail investor. But by the time I decided, you know, I need to get on the business end of this thing, uh, I was in my early to mid thirties and, um, they, you know, the big shops, you know, you think like, I'm going to be this head fund jockey or whatever, the stock jock and the big shops, they want to hire, uh, people like either fresh out of Ivy league schools, or you better know a lot of really rich people. <laughs> and so they ask you like, you know, were you an ex athlete? You know, you hang out with super rich people. And when you're like, no, they're like, yeah, probably not for you. Uh, but insurance companies will basically hire anybody that can fog a mirror. <laughs> Life insurance companies. So uh, and they, they, of course, it's almost like military recruiting. They kind of tell you anything you want to hear. I'm like, yeah, I want to get my Series 7 and be a stock jock. And they're like, oh, yeah, you can do that here. You can do that here. But obviously, they're an insurance company at heart, even if they have uh, investing or financial arm. And the focus is going to be on life insurance. And it was through that almost accidentally that I learned uh, that about the magic of life insurance and how it's really unlike any other financial asset in the combination of benefits and things that it can do, you really can't recreate by cobbling together a bunch of other, call it investing products. And so I really started going deep down that rabbit hole and realized that there's quite an opportunity here. So that's... I told you, Vic, I'm long in the tooth. That's the long answer to a short question. No, that's awesome. I love it. And so question then is, because I experienced this in 2012, where uh, I learned about insurance and how you life insurance, how you can use it for like investing in other principles. And then, uh -huh. but if you go talk to other people, like a financial advisor or things yeah. like that, they will poo-poo that. And I'm saying that nicely in many yeah. different ways. And I don't understand. And I had a friend of mine who was one and he bashed it. And yeah. anyone I talked to, We'll bash it. But this one guy who got me exposed to was like, no. And he, the way he showed me and how it worked, I was like, that's like a no brainer. But then yet you're hearing everybody else and they bash it. Why is it just, is it just like, is it like going to a medical doctor or it's just, Hey, all we do is drugs. If you talk nutrition, we they'll bash it because they don't know it. Um, is it that mentality or is it something different with it? 
I think there's a little bit of that there. I mean, obviously, when you confer with anybody about anything, you should actually look at, like, what's their agenda? Like, do they have an agenda here, right? Including me, right? So what is their agenda? And is there going to be bias with that agenda? What I can tell you is in the financial industry, you were raised on one of two poles. And it's kind of like what I just talked about. If you came up in Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch or, you know, one of these uh, more investing focus, even though they're able to do insurance, they're they're a broker dealer. Their focus is to get their reps to sell investment-based products. And they're competing for the same dollars as the insurance companies. And so what happens is, When you grow up in the insurance side of the business, you're kind of taught to bash the stock market. And when you grow up in the the stock jock side of the business, you're taught to bash insurance because that's not your core offering. And it's really sad because it's doing consumers, everybody, a huge disservice because these two um, polls, if you will, have agendas there is validity to both tools. So there's a lot of people in my business where it's like, you can't do retirement plans. Don't do stocks. You're crazy. You're going to lose all your money. Um, and it's a little bit, it's, it's, it's hyperbole. It's, and it's definitely overblown because I own both. And everybody's kind of mix of each is going to be different. And to do a great job for your clients, you need to be knowledgeable about both. Take the bias out of it. Take the opinion out of it. Listen to their facts and circumstances and help them test and measure what blend is right given their goals and what their risk tolerance are. Risk tolerances are. So with insurance, this is the other thing I realized. Life People that came up on the life insurance side of the business, on average, are better planners than people that came up in the stock side of the business. And I'll tell you why. And it has to do with innately Life insurance products don't have as good of a return long-term than stocks. Like if you look at the stock market over the long-term, right, it will outperform most life insurance products. Now, most life insurance people are hearing this like, why are you saying that, Hutch? I'm saying it because it's true. (laughs) But you have different financial products for different reasons. And so I would ask you, Vic, I don't even know if you have stock, but if I ask somebody and I say, okay, you have all these stocks, you're saying life insurance is a bad deal. What's the best performing stock in your stock portfolio? And they're usually going to say something like Apple or Amazon, one of the FANG stocks. And I'll say, well, why don't you just sell everything else and put 100% in Amazon? And what are they going to say, Vic? Absolutely not. No way. It's too much of a risk. Right. And so, well, wait a second. You, I thought you weren't worried about risk. You just want the absolute best return. Then diversification is a defensive tool and uh, uh, concentration is a wealth building tool, but there's additional risk, risk reward. Now, clients want it both ways. They want the absolute best returns and they want to take zero risk, right? Intrinsically, like it just never fails. And so having to have these talks, but naturally I'll bet you have some money in cash. Well, you're my client now. So you probably have, you know, more money in cash value than cash per se. But most people walking in off the street do not. And I'll say, why don't you take all this cash and put it in the Amazon or the Apple? Well, no, I just kind of keep this for a rainy day. And that's what life insurance does. And there's plenty of different iterations. We don't need to get into all the details. That's what my site, Banking Truths, is all about, really just educating people about using different life insurance products as their own bank. And I don't know if you can see this, but my tagline, well, you can see it right there. Thank you, Truce. Don't do what banks say. Do what they do. There's a glare. It's right there, too. <laughs> Don't do what say, banks say. Do what they do. Our flagship video shows that like the biggest uh, major banks in the U.S. actually park billions of dollars in life insurance. And they could park it in higher-risk assets, but they don't want to because their main business is lending. And in order to lend, they need to have reserves. And when I talk to most people, whether you're a fiscally responsible family, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a real estate investor, you have to have reserves, right, Vic? Absolutely. Absolutely. Dry powder, liquid reserves. Well, you don't want to put that in the Amazon stock. (laughs) (laughs) So you keep it in cash and you earn a high yield savings rate that usually starts with a dot. (laughs) And so- Our thing at Banking Truths is why don't we just cut out the middleman 
and don't do what banks say, do what they do. Let's look where they're investing their safe and liquid reserves, their tier one capital, so that they can go ahead and do their business with their reserves. Let's go ahead and recreate that at, we bring that big institutional thinking down to the uh, small business level or the fiscally responsible family level. That's really what we're all about. I love that. And I appreciate the, 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 depth of, the depth of the explanation there. Why is it that then, you know, when we look at, you brought this up a little earlier and it just piqued an interest in me because I think now, correct me if I'm wrong, is there only four states or there's five states that teach finances in, in high school, like how to handle your finances and taxes and all that kind of stuff? I didn't even know that. If there's five, kudos to them, you know, like that's awesome. I didn't I even go, know there were five. Which ones are them. they? And I know Florida's one of them. They just became That's- it where they're like, you can't graduate high school. Now DeSantis put a law and that says you can't graduate unless you know, basic finances and taxes and stuff like that. That's I know great. there's a few other States. I don't know if it's Kentucky and or it's at least the curriculum that they learn that okay. not, not that they have, they have to take it to graduate And Florida is the only state right now that you have to um, pat, you have to take the class and the do that in the pass it in order to graduate. That's awesome. Well, that, 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 that brings a smile to my face. And, but why, why do you think that is, is that we don't have, you know, cause that, that I found this out in 2012 years ago and I was like, yeah, I wasn't taught finances at all in high school or anything close to that. Mm-hmm. I had to self-teach myself. And it was one of those things where, um, is it just, just because it's just, I mean, it is important. Everyone talks about money, yeah. but yet we're not taught how you to manage see? and handle and all that. So it's kind of like a, it, to when I look at it, I'm like, we have all these values to it and it's all talked about and everywhere, but then yet we're not taught how to make more of it. It's just an interesting concept. Or even just how to manage what we do make, right? Yeah. Exactly. So it's funny. One, one of my daughters showed me a meme and it's like, uh, don't know. I even, I don't even know anything about taxes, but at least I know the powerhouse of a cell. <laughs> and so, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's whatever, there's the above board answer and the conspiracy conspiracy theory answer. I mean, the conspiracy theory answer, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I mean, let's face it, the, the powers that be want us to be worker bees. And if you look back in the history of education, my wife's an educator and she hates it when I talk like this. It, it started in the Industrial Revolution, I believe, in, in England is really where it started. And it was just really to teach people to be better worker bees, right? And well, if you're teaching them how to be entrepreneurial and successful and better manage their money so they don't go out in the workforce and work for wages, helping other people fulfill their dreams, that's not going to necessarily go well if that's the agenda. Now, that was the original agenda. Who knows if it's still there? I don't know, right? I, I have... My theories, um, the, you know, the, the powers that be that regulate the financial industry are, is so backwards these days. And, you know, we're, we're riding on the rails of rules that were made in the 20s and 40s, you know, when you go to take these financial tests for your licenses. And really, this is another conspiracy theory. When you look at them, you know, some people call it the Big Bank Protection Act, <laughs> banking truce. And... <laughs> it, it's really sad because if they claim their goal is to protect consumers, but yet there's still tons of episodes of American greed, right? And there's still all kinds of shenanigans on Wall Street. There's still all kinds of red tape and things you need to uh, go through with investment banks if you want to raise money to start a business, or you've made it with your business and you want to monetize it like a lot of my clients have when they've crushed it in business and now they want to sell their business, you're forced to kind of go through these channels. Again, the Big Bank Protection Act. And, you know, again, I, I'm i going to lean on the conspiracy theory. I don't know what the real answer is, why they don't teach about money. You know, one one thing I could say is like, okay, well, what do we teach? Because there is a lot of varying opinions like we talked about between the stock market or stock jocks and insurance jocks or whatever. So that could be a legit answer, but there's some base knowledge that I think everybody needs to have. Just like we learned, you know, a little bit of poli sci as juniors or seniors. So that could be the answer. But honestly, I think it's something along the lines of the conspiracy or con- conspiracy theory answer, if that helps. No, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me because like coming from the health background, it's one of those things where when, you know, going through chiropractic school and you learn all about this health and holistic and all these measurements and things on all these different aspects. And then you're like, 
why isn't this shared to the public? Why can't, why is this not being told? Right. Like you don't, you don't have to have, or the way we do things is actually backwards and it that means nothing or how yep. the, the science is manipulated. And I'm like, where? And then all of a sudden, of course, someone comes into the financial realm that I meet and they're teaching me all these things, kind of things you're saying. And I'm like, that's the same thing I experienced in the health world. And it's like, hold on, you have that in the financial world. Tell me more about this. And then all of a sudden I learn and I'm like, if I saw it here and I can back it up with all my data, you can call me conspiracy theorist. I always tell people, you can just call me whatever you want. I don't care. If I can back it up with data and science and proof, that's not a conspiracy theorist. And so then I'm like, and if you can do that for me in the financial realm, then I'm going to, it's going to open up my whole world. And it was easy to see it because again, that whole concept. You, you experience it in health. I mean, it's the same powers that be. Like there's there's very small factions at the top that kind of control everything, whether you want to believe it or not. And it takes shape in lobbyists and probably on the health. And I still eat meat. I eat red meat. I know it's not good for me, but it tastes good, right? And But like the meat, the dairy industry, that those are huge lobbyists. And so to get all that information on Front Street, right, that's going to crush these age-old powerhouses of you know these backbones of american industry and so again it kind of goes back to the conspiracy theory i i think the same thing's happening in the financial world well just like you brought up meat if you don't mind me sharing actually meat's extremely healthy it's just the quality oh cool i see i hear all kinds of stuff yeah it's just the quality they came out they came out with a study in 1950s that was just a correlation of saturated fat and heart disease it was a correlation it just means that they saw people who did this had heart attacks they said oh since we see that, that's why. And in, in chiropractic, we bash it all the time because we're like, oh, we can't do cause correlation. Correlation does, is not causation. But if we have a hypothetical and say, well, since we're seeing a pattern here, can we mention that? They're like, oh, no, no, no. That's just cause, that's just correlation to causation. And we're like, a lot of the stuff you come up with is like that. But there is a difference in quality of the meat. So are what you're saying is you found... They see they saw causation and they just threw the baby out with the bathwater. And you're saying you took it to the next level. And it's like, no, it's not just meat in general. You have to go another level deep. And it's about the quality. It's all about the quality at the end of the day. I mean, you can go as deep and dark, you know, you can go as far as you want and deep as you want. But at the end of the day, it's the quality of the meat. If the, if the animal's happy and lives its natural life, like grass okay. fed, pasture raised, you know, no, no chemicals in the grass then that meat is a supreme quality to your health. And this is what goes against a lot of the vegan movement. So a lot of vegans, if you ever, you can just watch it for yourself. As soon as you know this, you're going to see it all around. Anytime you see a vegan movement and they're bashing beef and what it does and all the diseases that come from it, notice they never talk about grass-fed, pasture-raised organic meat. They only talk about the commercialized. Mm. And so once you see it, you'll see it in every single movement of saying, oh, yeah, meat's bad. There's guys out there. It's called the carnivore diet where all he does is eat animal byproducts and fruits. And he's supremely, extremely healthy. So okay. I digress, but that's a whole nother discussion. I thought I'd bring it up for you. Yeah. But um, but let's talk a little bit more than about like, you know, comprehensive finance. Like, there's so much you can, you know, there's so much out there. I know for me, there's stocks, there's crypto, there's blockchain stuff that I get into. There's, uh, you know, life insurance policy stuff. There's um, real estate, real estate. You know, how, and those are the things I'm involved in. And it's like, how did, how, how can people like, you know, tie it together or just, you know, to make it easier and simple in, in some way, shape or form. Cause I know for me, this is, I've been studying this for years. Like so I'm not an expert by any means, nowhere near your level, but at least I, I have basic understanding to where I'm like, I can, I know this, I know how this works. I know I've done this uh, yeah. in these different levels. How do we bring it all together? And I know it's a yeah, question. So- <laughs> loaded question. Yeah, thanks for serving me up the loaded question, Vic. So, so listen, I'll start with this. Everybody wants simple. We're in the information age. We're flooded with information. It used to be that advisors uh, would bring you information. Like if you were in my business, let's say you were a stockbroker, I could get you data feeds or information that from the inside. Nowadays, right? Well, insider information is illegal, but outside of that, like we have access to all the information. It's too much. We're looking for advisors that simplify things. All of us want to simplify things to go about our life. Unfortunately, money is not simple and there are no cookie cutter answers. They're just not, right? There are certain patterns. And just like you said, the correlation, causation, you can, you can do the same thing with money. You can find patterns, but really you have to, you have to either work with somebody or you have to educate yourself about how that stuff to applies to you. But ultimately, it comes down to preferences too, right? I don't have a crystal ball. If I did, 
I wouldn't be working in the financial industry. I'd be on my own island, wherever that is, right? So uh, I don't offer that as my value proposition. What I do offer as my value proposition is I understand the complicated in a lot of different realms, including the two polls we talked about. I understand the complicated dealing with stocks, options, things like that. I understand the complications in insurance. I understand a lot of financial advisors are told by the companies they work for, hey, we're not allowed to give tax advice. And you have to hedge your bet by saying, well, hey, I'm not allowed to give tax advice, consult your tax advisor. And the client says, well, what about this? I thought that was BS. So I actually went and got some alphabet soup, some extra letters at the, at the end of my name so that I actually could say I can give tax advice. Uh, I don't do my own taxes. I don't want to do my clients. I do ask them to verify, but at least I can definitively give some tax advice. And the tax code itself is so convoluted, right? Because it keeps a lot of people in lobbyists and business, right? And like, you know, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017, the whole idea was we were supposed to get it simplified, use the word simplified, hopefully on a postcard. And I was like, yes, postcard, let's go, right? We didn't get a postcard. We threw out the old complicated and we got a whole new set of complicated, right? Uh, it has been advantageous for our economy, right? We'll probably get more new complicated, again, probably to keep a lot of people in business. Uh, but I at least understand, I actually geek out on that. So when tax, tax cuts and jobs acts was happening, it was at around Christmas time. And in fact, the most recent changes uh, were happening at the beginning of the year. I geek out on that during the holidays. My wife's like, it's Christmas. Can you stop reading about taxes? And I'm like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Again, it's the gamer <laughs> in me. I like, I like, I enjoy learning how to gamify that stuff. And whoever you're working with or whatever you're doing, because most people, whether they're working with somebody or they're just doing their own thing, like in their own business or the real estate, everybody's focused on growth and growing their money. And they don't put enough emphasis on the tax efficiency of it. And so it's like, okay, wh whether you're trying to get whatever, seven or 9% in the stock market, like if only I can find better stocks or better funds to go from 7% to nine or 12, like you're trying to do that so bad, but if taxes are going to erode a third or a half or a quarter, whatever, so shouldn't there be like some effort put on that? So I call it the one foot on the gas, one foot on the brake syndrome. A lot of times people have one foot on the gas and they don't realize it, but they're also leaning on the brakes. And so we have a strong focus on just making sure the chess pieces are aligned so that they're as efficient as they can possibly be. Obviously, it's hard to completely eradicate taxes uh, without going to jail or moving to you know, other jurisdictions outside of the U.S. Um, but I put a strong focus on that. And, uh, and I put a very strong focus on liquidity, hence banking truce, because, you know, when you're Joe Lunchbucket, W-2 employee, even if you're a high earner, it's really easy just to kind of put your head down, go to work, save in your 401k, save the extra elsewhere. Maybe you got a little real estate here, a little college saving plan here. You got, I call it junk drawer financial, right? You get, just kind of sprinkle the extra and you do these different growth things. Uh, but my entrepreneurs, they're like, why am I going to lock up? all this money with this financial advisor to earn seven or even nine or even 12 when in my business, I'm getting 20 or 30 or 40. Isn't that where I should be putting my effort? And unlike most financial advisors, my answer is yes, do more of that. Right. But again, going back to conflicts of interest, that's a conflict of interest for most financial advisors because they get paid from assets under management. And if you're using your own money, then they don't have it there to manage, right? And so that's why even I used to own a boutique registered investment advisory firm. I actually sold that to some employees uh, October of last year, 2021. And I really only did that just so I could speak freely. I dropped the financial licenses, only have the insurance license uh, tax accreditation, some uh, estate planning accreditation, some other alphabet suit for overall financial planning. Uh, used to have the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner, which is known as the, the gold standard, although some people in the insurance industry call it the Certified Failure Planner. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, 
I did let that go. Uh, not to say there wasn't some good information there to be had, but I didn't like the rhetoric that the CFP board was having. Like basically if, if, unless you're charging a fee to create this plan, which is going to be obsolete, like basically like a week after you create it, like it's all these static variables, like money doesn't move like that. Money is not math. It's more like organic chemistry, right? Uh, and so I did let that go, but I'm digressing. Uh, I guess what, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is our focus is really on helping our clients maximize the, not only growth return, but the tax efficiency of their own liquidity and actually use, get $1 wearing multiple hats through strategic and responsible leverage opportunities. Not to mention there are a number of benefits that still, uh, occur or are accruing for you inside life insurance policy, even if you're borrowing against them at a lower rate than what they're growing at to go use for those other things, whether it be your business, real estate, even the stock market, like whatever you're into. I love that. What are some then, you know, you brought up tax efficiencies. What are some ideas? Because like you're looking at inflation, I think what they just marked at eight point something percent. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if, you know, it's at right now. And, you know, I know whenever I see that go up, I always tell people like, okay, you got to figure out how to lower your taxes as much as you possibly can and make more money. It's just just how to counter that or find appreciated assets to offset that, that percentage. And I think it's still going to go up even higher. I even, I personally believe it's higher than what it is. There's just, however, I I always, my wife was, I told my wife this, she's like, how do they calculate that? I'm like, I have no idea. I should go look at the inflation. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, if you might share. Yeah. So, (laughs) so first of all, if you go to Costco, like we talked, we were talking about steak. I used to get New York steak for $7.99 and then it shot up to $12.99. That's not 8%, is it? (laughs) Not even close. (laughs) It's just a little bit North of eight. And even if they dropped the price to $9.99, that's a little bit North of eight. 100% 100% <laughs> with you. Well, look at gas alone. I mean, what that did or uh, Real estate. wheat and commodities and stuff like that. Yeah. It's basically everything that falls on your foot. So CPI, the consumer price index is, I'm quoting here, I'm paraphrasing, but it's basically, I'm going to use air quotes. It's a select basket of goods and services in select cities. So there's a lot of ways to cook the books on inflation. And I would contend that 8% is probably the lowest reasonable number they could use. And again, why would they cook the books? Well, you have to give people with Social Security a raise if you admit there's inflation. You have to raise the yields of treasury bonds, which is debt, and we're printing a lot of debt if you admit there's inflation, both of which... I don't want to say it could bankrupt our financial system because we're already 30 trillion in debt. But obviously, if you kick up those rates, I mean, there, there's a serious conflict of interest to not admit what true inflation is. Yeah, I know a lot of my friends and people would say, like, if whatever that interest rate is, just multiply it by at least two. And that's kind of more closer to where we are overall. Um, but then what are some ways that we can be tax efficient? And, and I don't know if you can share that. And in, in, in I know there's probably a lot of strategies, but what are some tools that people can use or you have or you utilize to, uh, yeah. to be that? So, I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, you got a whole extra set of tools, which is nice. <laughs> uh, I There's a guy named Sandy Botkins. He puts out this book on Amazon. Like, I got no dog in this hunt, just a free plug. This is great information uh, called Lower Your Taxes Big Time, and then it's usually the year. Great book. Uh, flow charts, super detailed information, stays current every year. Um, but it, basically, his whole thing, if you go to his... Um, any of his conferences or join his mastermind, which I'm a part of, uh, not as I'm a, I'm a customer. Uh, it is, he says, you know, those discount cards we like when we go to uh, a store, like we get five or 10% off. What if I gave you one that was 30 or 40% off and you could use it for not everything, but a lot of things you buy. Well, you have one if you're an entrepreneur, it's called a business card. I love that. I mean, like I've, I've just, I'm paraphrasing his thing. So I would say, if you're not an entrepreneur, and I know, Vic, you have another podcast, if you want to take a moment to share what that is about to help fledgling entrepreneurs, what's what's that podcast? Uh, Mindful Experiment. 
if you're not an entrepreneur, listen to Vic's podcast about becoming an entrepreneur. And there's so many different ways and side hustles, but just simply by adding an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial component to your life, now you can deduct a lot of things that retail worker bees don't get to deduct. So I'll start with that. And you don't even need a financial advisor. Listen to Vic's podcast, read Sandy Botkin's book. And now all of a sudden, you're going to have a lot of extra money that was going to the government that is now not. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, love, I, love, I was going to say, I love that. This is something I always tell people. You need to be an entrepreneur. And it, there you go. You shared one of the biggest reasons why. Yeah. Yeah. So, and like, there's so many side hustles. So just because you have a jobby job or you and your spouse both have, both have jobby jobs. Uh, I'll talk about marketing a little bit because I got into digital marketing in 2014, which is how Vic found me just watching content, you know, whether, I don't know if it was the videos or the articles, but at Banking Truths, we got lots of that stuff. You found me on the internet somewhere. Uh, But I got into marketing from a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. Everybody knows him. He's big time. So I first heard about Gary V in 2010 and read his book called Crush It. And he has lots of books since, but the book Crush It, what it said, and it really resonated with me is to start a business back in the day, like it was so costly to get the word out, like to do print ads in Time or Newsweek or Playboy or whatever, right? To do print ads was so expensive. Uh, Even just put it in the newspaper, like that's a serious hard cost. Or to do TV commercials, like forget about it, right? Um, But these days with social media outlets, you can get the word out free and organically. You can pay to advertise it's a lot cheaper if you want. But basically you can get something going viral and there's lots of businesses that have done this. And so there's been no better time ever in the history of man to monetize your passion. So nobody wants an extra job. Nobody wants extra responsibility. But when you're working in your passion, it's not really a job, right? It's just what you're passionate about. Like me geeking out about taxes around Christmas time, right? Go ahead. No, as I say, I love it. It's just, uh, yeah, it's so true. It's not about it. It's so much, it, you know, everyone says it's the greatest time to have a business or start a business or just do everything along those lines. And people are like, no, look at this, look at that. And it's like your reach is, you know, like I have a coaching business and it's one of those things where how can I have, you know, clients in five different countries? I, I, I couldn't have done that a hundred years ago, Good for you, 50 man. years ago, even 30 years ago, but I have no clients in, in different countries where I'm like, they found me, they, you know, they read my message resonated with them. And they're like, Hey, I want to work with this guy. And you, you uh, could have wrote them letters and they write you back. <laughs> right? It takes like a month to get there too, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's one of, it's one of those things where you, you think about it in today's world and it's like, it, it's so true in, in so many different aspects and having any sort of business knowing, you know, like one of the things I learned in business school is like, you know, learn taxes. That makes you a better business person. Not saying you got to be an expert, but just like learn how to write, you know, how to have where your write-offs are and how you can take advantage of certain things. So that way you can minimize uh, how much you have to give and you say, put more money in your pocket at the end. Well, so that's where I was going because I, I gave you like the answer about, about entrepreneurs. So once you recapture that extra money, however you're going to do it, but tax efficiency is one. So what we do is we help align the chess pieces. Um, we, I'm no longer a financial advisor. I do have employees that are, so I'm not allowed to. But in an educational way, I can share, again, going back to the foot on the gas and the foot on the brakes, you know, most people have some kind of retirement plan, whether it's a 401k or an IRA. Some people have Roths, right? Some people make too much money. If you make too much money, you can't even contribute to a Roth. And if you can, it's like $6,000, like it doesn't really move the needle for me. Right. And so, you know, since our government's printing money at this crazy rate, and now that they've admitted there's inflation, I would expect that number to continue rising. I'm very, very concerned about future taxation. So most people hammer their account like, I need some deductions. I got to buy a heavy car. I got to do buy some, I got to do something. I'm going to pay all these taxes. Help me defer, help me, whatever, kick the can down the road. And we're saying, wait a second, taxes are actually the lowest. It's not the lowest, but near lows, like 50-year lows, even though they seem like a lot, maybe we ought to, with some of our money, defer if we're in the highest brackets, 
But if we're not, there's these favorable brackets from tax cuts and jobs acts that we can absorb and potentially accelerate into those lower brackets. Maybe we want to do that and get into sheltering mechanisms. If you can do Roth conversions, that's going to create tax. Uh, if you do a Roth 401k, maybe you could do 20,500, which is better than six. But that, again, doesn't even move the needle for a lot of my clients. And that's where I talk to them about um, using life insurance. It's to, to us, it's almost like an institutional Roth or a Roth without limits. There actually are limits, but most people are so underinsured that they're not going to bump up against their limits. And I'm not even talking about life insurance for need because most people, the way they sell life insurance is they say, what's or the way they buy life insurance is what's the least amount of premium I can pay for the most amount of life insurance. And what they don't realize is that formula creates the biggest cost, the biggest commissions actually, because most of our commissions, you know, people talk, oh my gosh, I'm making a huge commission. <laughs> most of the commissions aren't based as much on how much money you're putting in but more so around how much death benefit it's buying. And so what we do is we do what the banks do. We shrink wrap the least amount of death benefit possible around any given amount of cash. And it's a different way to solve. Most people are like, how much do I need? How much do I need? We're not selling based on need. It's like, okay, how much do you want? And when I say want, I'm not even talking about death benefit. It's how much of your money do you want to get a better growth rate, stay safe and liquid, be sheltered from future growth, all future growth, and you can access while you're dead or alive, how much of that do you want to put in? And when you solve for that, we have software that shows us how to shrink wrap the least amount of death benefit, add certain types of rider, whether they be term riders or higher than cash value riders to give you the growth and liquidity you want. So I was, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Um, so that's one way to do it. And that's really just a foundational step. So we're not saying, because most people think, oh, if I put money in life insurance, then I can't do X. Like if X is like invest in my business, if X is invest in real estate, if X is send my kids to college, if X is whatever. If I put money into life, this money in life insurance, I can't do X. It is not an either or conversation. It is an and conversation. And we show you how that you can borrow up to 95% of your cash value. And I realize some of your listeners hear the word borrow, they're like, Debts. Dave Ramsey said it was bad. My great grandmother lost the family farm during the depression. Ah, and I agree with you that um, non-strategic uh, high interest rate consumer debt is very bad, but certain kinds of strategic and responsible leverage can be very advantageous. And I'll give you, I'll just give you an example. If you have money working in life insurance, and let's just say it's earning 4%, and you can borrow against it at 3%, how often would you do that? As often as I could. As often, or at least as often well, as you when, needed to. When I needed yeah. to, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is people feel compelled, like, like real estate. I know you do real estate. People are looking at cap rates and they're like, oh gosh, these are low cap rates. I don't know if I want to do real estate right now, but I want my money working. So they're kind of chasing yield in maybe a frothy time. But if they had a place to kind of go and hang out waiting for a better opportunity, and it was actually earning a yield, and even though inflation is 8% and the insurance policy only earns four to five, that's still better than putting earning point two or 0 0.4, 0 0.5. And with the tax benefits, if you're a high earner and you earn 4%, and normally you'd, if you earn 4% in a CD, you'd have to pay taxes at your highest ordinary rate. That four kind of feels like seven or maybe eight, depending on what state you're in. Five feels like eight or 10, depending on what state you're in and what income bracket. And so I challenge my clients because they just, they just, again, they see debt and they're like, I didn't learn anything in school, but I know this debt thing's bad, right? But it's an opinion that they don't really test and measure. And meanwhile, the financial elite are using leverage in spades. And that's why you see the wealth gap between the 1% pulling away from everybody else. It's not because minimum wage isn't 15 or 18. That's not it. The financial elite 
is taking $1 and they're getting it wearing multiple hats using strategic and responsible leverage. And I'll tell you what I mean by strategic and responsible. If you will just go back to life insurance policy. If you borrowed against, and let's just say you left yourself some cushion. If you borrowed against 85% of your cash value at 3% and 100% of your cash value is earning 4%. And you could take that cash value without even borrowing and you could just cash it in to kill that debt at any moment. If you have a liquid asset that can extinguish the debt at any moment, but the asset is earning more than what the debt costs, are you technically in debt? Not at all. Not at all. And that's a huge eye-opener. And the financial elite know this. And as interest rates have gone down, you didn't get you, I mean the consumer, you did not get the memo, but savers are going to get punished and borrowers are going to get rewarded. Now, unbridled leverage without risk management strategies and a plan can get you wrecked. That's not what I'm saying. But using strategic and responsible leverage strategies, and we have lots of them beyond just life insurance, can help you get $1 wearing multiple hats. So those of you that are taking excess risk in a stock market that you maybe feel at this moment is a little too frothy, but you're doing it because you feel like you need to play catch up, maybe there's a better way through financial efficiency. I love it. Well, you brought up something. That's why I, I, what I liked about you guys is the first part you were talking about how you do the lowest death benefit with things like that and the build up the cash value and whatnot. Because the, originally when I got into all this kind of stuff, they did the highest death benefit. And I was like, I wonder why. I, yeah, I know. Because then I had a friend of mine read it and he goes, look at all the, you know how much money they're making off these things? And I was going, oh, hell, if I knew all that, I would never did this. It's like, what's the point? No wonder it's taking so long. And so that's why I think I appreciate about you guys. That's why I wanted to have, on, have you on because I'm always looking for people to give valuable information like this where you can use it for leverage. You can use it for things to uh, like be your own bank. That's one thing I always, my vision was I heard, I knew I could do it in some way. I knew about the strict, like the ideas, but I was like, okay, how do you make that happen? And then it was just like, you know, I got really adamant about it and it's like, okay, how do you be your own bank? And this is one of, one of the things you're sharing is what at least means to me to like, wow, I can be my own bank. If I want money, I can, I have it right here. I don't have to go to a bank now. I can just, you know, this big gets to a certain level. All right, I loan off it. I'm still making the interest off the full value, which is like a no-brainer, and yeah. like you were sharing earlier. And I can go and invest and now compound that. You know, here's my money, and now I'm putting my dollar over here. I'm putting my dollar over there, and and everything's all covered. There's really no debt at the end of the day. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you another thing that one of my entrepreneur clients said. He was a uh, he's a military guy, and a real kind of, you know, gruff. And so I was showing them how to use life insurance to be your own bank. And business owners, a lot of times, they understand leverage. They have lines of credits. They're using other people's money, right? They're getting a, a, a better bite of the apple than what they're paying for leverage. And he said, so wait a second. I can still use the banks, but if I have my own bank and life insurance, I can go to my banker guy and say, hey, you better sharpen your pencil, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yep, <laughs> that's exactly what you can do. And the other thing you didn't bring up, Vic, is let's just say you're like, oh, I'm not going to do debt and I'm just going to save money and put it in cash and use cash for everything. So if you have 100,000 in cash, 500,000 in cash, 50,000, whatever your number is, like I call it the financial teddy bear, whatever that reserve number is, that financial teddy bear. If you die, your family gets the financial teddy bear, whether it's 100, 250 or whatever. But if you had 100 in a financial teddy bear and you die, even if we shrink wrap the least amount of death benefit to bring down your costs, commissions, et cetera, you might get 3X, 4X, 5X, the financial teddy bear tax-free. Now, nobody thinks they're going to die, but I can tell you, I haven't done it personally, but it does occur. I have paid death claims, right? And so I'm not allowed to say free insurance. And you obviously should maybe still have term policies for whatever number you think your family needs if they pass. But by creating this financial efficiency, not only do you get a better growth on your cash, but you might cut out some of the term costs, which is just like, you're just writing that check with after-tax dollars. It's like tearing money up and throwing it in the street. Maybe you can reduce that money by the amount of, a, of death benefit that's propped up by the shrink-wrapped, shrink-wrapped, shrink-wrapped life insurance policy. <laughs> 
No, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it, yeah, there's so many different strategies and tools on how you can use this and go so many ways, as you know, as being an expert in it. Um, real quick, before we wrap up, how can people Hutch, find you, follow you, all that good stuff? Sure. Yeah, so uh, bankingtruths.com is our website. Uh, we have a, a YouTube channel with a lot of good information, Banking Truths. It's all on the website, too. Uh, we're actually, we, so we've been at this now since, well, we've been in business, like I said, since 2007, I actually worked for a couple different insurance companies, went to go on my own in 2012, knew I wanted to go on my own in 2011, but, uh, uh, finally jumped ship in 2012, got into the digital marketing thing about end of 2014, finally got it humming in 2016. So we have a lot of content and I, it's, it's almost like a, like a really good buffet, like a, like a nice one, like the wind buffet in Vegas. And so what we're trying to do is kind of organize that content into more of like a, a seven course meal, if you will. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of videos and articles that are there for depending on where you're at in the process. Uh, but we're starting to organize it in courses too. So depending on when you're listening to this and when you jump on, you might find a beginner course and we have an advanced course called hybrid banking. If you're really interested in this strategic and responsible leverage, I recommend, even if you're new, because there's supplemental material in the courses, so you can get up to speed, but that hybrid banking course really shows you how to use this for, uh, strategic and responsible leverage with it's not life insurance is not the only way, but it's the foundation. And we're going to keep adding on that. I would say those two are the best ways to do it. Uh, you can always email uh, info at bankingtruths.com. There's a pattern forming here, uh, bankingtruths.com. Uh, and uh, we're starting to do more stuff on social media. I'll be fully transparent with you guys. I hire somebody to help do that. It's just, uh, but we, we're posting stuff on the, the normal channels uh, out there as well. But probably the best place to go to get the best information is our website to be able to get access to those kind of seven course spoon fed courses, if you will. Love it. Hutch, I appreciate you being on, sharing your wealth of information and helping individuals just with all that you do. I think it's a, it's, it's a pinnacle. It's teaching us what the, the elites do and how the banks do things and how to play with what they do rather than, you know, uh, the, the maybe even shrink up the, the gap that we have, the wealth gap that we see. But thank you for being on and sharing all this with our listeners. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I forgot one more thing. So uh, we actually have an app too. So nice. Banking Truths. And we're, we're working with a new app company to make sure that the same experience, like if you go through those courses, it tra tracks your progress and it crosses out. We're doing it so it actually syncs your progress on the app. And what's cool is then you can just download to your phone if you're getting on a plane or whatever, the videos ahead of time. Or if you have drives, like a lot of you guys are driving, a lot of the information, sure, you can go back and look at the visuals. But if you just want the audio, you can have that playing streaming for you while you're driving as well. Love that. And for all the listeners, I'll have all this info in the show notes for you. Uh, thanks, thanks again, man. Hutch. Appreciate it. Yeah, indeed. Good times. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing it with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.